0: Good morning, morning. my name is Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church, I'm glad to be with you this morning as we wrap up the book of Nehemiah. About 12 years ago, um, almost to the month, um, I was part of this church helping to replant, rebuild this church, and the first sermon series I ever preached was from the book of Nehemiah. My call to this church came though out of Titus 1.5 where it says, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. And when I received this call from God, it was very clear to me, and that's another time and another story, but it was clear to me that this made sense, that if God would call you to replant a church, to rebirth a church, to revitalize a church, that this would be part of it, that you would need to put certain things into order because there's certain things that are, well, out of order, and that you would need to raise up godly elders and pastors to help lead and shepherd those people in that place. And I understood that this would be the case. If you're replanting a church, it's, it's hard work. Sometimes replanters joke with church planters that, that they have an easy job, right? Church planting is, is easy compared to replanting churches. It's pastor humor. That was, that was just the pastor. If you've ever been to a pastor conference, you would know, okay? It's what we do. We're weird, I know. But this is what we do. So, but what I knew at that point that made sense to me, that this is what you would have to do, put things into order. It didn't make sense to me then, but it makes sense to me now, and I know it now, after a dozen years, that the same thing that you need to replant a church, you need to pastor a church over the long haul. Because there's always rebuilding that needs to be done among God's people. Nehemiah found this out some 25 years later. He was in Jerusalem for about 12 years. He left for about 20 to 25 years. He finds his way back, and he knows now that, that, that this rebuilding needs to continue. Nehemiah found in his day, what we find in our day, that there will always be rebuilding that needs to be done among God's people until Jesus returns. It's always going to be the case. There's always something to be revitalized or rebuilt or renewed or refreshed or whatever reword we want to use this morning. What kind of things does that include? What kinds of things need to be rebuilt on an ongoing basis among God's people? I think we find the first one in verses 1 to 3 where it says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. In verse 3, it says, As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. The first thing is that rebuilding of God's people will always include a return to God's word. It will always include a return to God's word. The first three verses of Nehemiah 13 allude to the reality that the word of God had not been publicly read and preached on an ongoing, regular, effectual basis for 25 years, over two decades Yet it's the regular preaching and teaching and reading of God's Word that keeps God's people walking in God's ways. Commentators sort of argue about what's going on here, but some of them say that it's the first Sabbath that Nehemiah found himself back in Jerusalem. He initiated again the public reading of Scripture. And there was some teaching that went along with it in that tradition. And they find themselves in Deuteronomy chapter 23 where it says, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. And as they opened up God's word on that morning and they read a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 3, I think they were hit with the same reality that sometimes we are hit with. And it's this, that sometimes when we return to God's word, it reveals to us things that are hard to understand and sometimes hard to accept. God's Word has some things in it that are really easy to understand and very easy and to joyfully accept. And there are some things in it that are sometimes hard to understand and are sometimes hard to accept. No Ammonite or Moabite will ever enter the assembly of God's people for ten generations. I want to pause here and say this has nothing to do with racial discrimination. Christianity is the most racially diverse faith system in, in the world and in the history of the world, by the way. This
1: is about spiritual protection. We have some hard teachings in our day to accept
0: there's lots of them that i could i could unpack this morning one of them that's particularly timely for me personally comes out of first timothy five because about a dozen years ago i had to actually implement this scripture from this stage i think from this pulpit in this church first timothy five it says do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses i'm glad for that as for those who persist in sin, elders that are unrepentant in their sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Okay, that's a hard scripture to accept. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels I charge you. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. Keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. It means that you can't be partial. Like if you kind of like a guy in some way, but he's persisting in some unrepentant sin, like, you can't just say like, oh, yeah, we're not going to do that. So that was a very hard thing to obey, but on that morning, I stood up here and actually preached on Nehemiah 13, this exact passage. And at the end of the service, I had to stand up and say, hey, remember this founding elder in this church? Yeah, these are the things that he's been doing, and he's told us he's unrepentant, and he's going to continue to do those things, despite all our pleading. And so this is what the Bible says, like, he can't actually be part of this church anymore. I mean, that is, is that, is that wildly unpopular? <laughs> yeah, you bet. God graced this church in that moment, and there were women that came up after the service weeping, saying, you know, we've needed someone to call these things out in the life of our church for a long time. See, sometimes these teachings are hard to understand and they're hard to accept, but God gives them to us for reasons, and there's really two. Any command God gives his people, he gives it to them to provide for them and to protect them. This has always been true from the Old Testament through the New Testament. God wants to provide for his people the very best environment for them. He wants the best for them. And he wants to protect them against anything that's less than his best for them. And so this is why God puts his commandments into place, even commandments like this one. And this is true for all of God's word. We know that Paul also wrote to Timothy a second time and told him all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may complete, equipped for every good work. In his first letter, he says, Timothy, rebuke elders publicly if they don't repent of their sin. And in the second letter, he says, by the way, all Scripture is helpful in this way. Sometimes hard to accept, sometimes hard to understand, but very useful. This morning, you get the picture, I'm assuming, question for us might be, do we need to return to the reading of God's word in some way? Do you need to return to the reading of God's word in some way? Have you avoided it because, you know, sometimes there are things that are easy to understand and very easy to apply, and sometimes the things that are kind of hard to understand and kind of hard to accept and apply, like have you you forsaken God's word for some of those reasons? Do you need to return to his word? And through this sermon series in the book of Nehemiah on rebuilding his people, and renewing his people, has he been speaking to you about certain things that he wants to renew in your life? What would you be willing to do about those things? These people immediately responded to the teaching of God's word. The ongoing rebuilding of God's people not only includes a return to God's word, it also includes something else that we find in the next few verses. Look at them with me, starting in verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, oil, which were given by the commandments of the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. There's this pagan guy that's living now in the, like, in the inner working of God's temple, of, of the place that his people meet to worship him. Nehemiah says, look, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. Like, I would have never stood for that. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Elishab had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I gave orders and they cleansed the chamber and brought back there the vessels of the house of God, the grain offering, and the frankincense. We learned the second thing this morning is this, that the rebuilding of God's people will always include a rejection of compromise. When God rebuilds his people, when he does something new among them, when he revitalizes them and reinvigorates them again, it will always include a rejection of compromise. And sometimes this compromise doesn't come through a conscious rejection of God's commands, It comes through convenient concessions. Little concessions that we make for our own personal gain. Eliashab, he was appointed, given responsibility over this portion of the temple. And instead of guarding it and stewarding it, he compromised it. And he compromised it through concessions. I'm not sure Eliashab was the guy who... who, He was trained as a priest, and he probably wasn't a guy who said, you know what, I know God says that, but I'm going to do this anyway. You know what, I don't really care. It seems that Elishab was was, was making these decisions for financial gain and for social credit. He made these compromises as concessions. He conceded part of what he knew God had had said, because in the back of his mind, he wanted financial gain and he wanted social credit. And Tobiah could offer him both. Tobiah had money, and Tobiah, Tobiah had influence. And so he gives them a chamber, a place to live in the temple of God and to do his business. And in this, Eliashab had compromised the holiness of God's people for his own benefit. And we can do the same thing, can't we? Even though the Bible tells us now that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells within us, Right? We talked about that the other day, the temple's on the road, right? Like God's, God's spirit indwells us. Now we are the temple of, of the living God, of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we can make similar concessions. We can concede God's holiness, God's goodness, God's commands for the sake of financial gain and social credit. And this month especially, that has, has become aware to me as, as our culture is celebrating all kinds of things this month that are against the things that God, that God has created and ordained God celebrates men and women created in his image and likeness with dignity and value and worth, male and female. And God celebrates marriage among one man and one woman for one lifetime. And God has given us those commands to provide his absolute best for us and to protect us from anything less than that. And as our culture celebrates things that are radically different than that, a lot of Christians... Are beginning to give way. They're making concessions, professing Christians, making concessions. And why would they make concessions? Financial gain and social credit. The same thing is happening today, it's all around us. And how is that ever gonna change? How, how is that tide ever going to change? Well, it changes through something that, that's called righteous anger. Nehemiah says, I was very angry. And maybe there's some things that make you righteously angry. Let me just define that for a moment. We've done this over the years. So you you don't hear me saying something I'm not saying, okay? Righteous anger is being angry at the right thing for the right reason and in the right way. And too often, professing Christians have been angry at the wrong thing, maybe even in the wrong reason and done it in the wrong way. Or they've been angry at the right thing, but for the wrong reason and done it in the wrong way. Or or been angry at the right thing for the right reason, but done it in the wrong way. And this is not the way God's people operate. Like when God's people are angry about things, righteously angry about things as God is, it's that we're angry at the right thing and the right reason and the right way. Nehemiah was angry at the right thing. Pagan merchants living on the inside of God's temple. It's the right thing to be angry about. And it was for the right reason. God's people were being influenced by pagan beliefs and practices. Right thing, right reason. And the right way. Nehemiah took swift and bold and uncompromising action. Like, that was the right way to handle this circumstance. Is there any clear compromise in your life or the life of Christians? Anything in your life that other Christians rather would be righteously angry about? I mean, is there anything in your life right now that if your friends, your family, your community group members, uh, you know, they, they knew this stuff was going on in your life on an ongoing basis and on an unrepentant basis, like they would be righteously angry. They're like, no, 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 that is wrong. And they would, they would come and, and confront those things in your life. What are you doing about those things? What are you willing to do about those things? Do you see this clear compromise, these concessions in the life of the church? Capital C. What are we willing to do about that? Listen, the ongoing rebuilding of God's people, it not only includes a return to God's word and a rejection of compromise. These are big things, but it also includes something else that's in the next few verses here, starting in verse 10, where it says they also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given. them. I mean, Nehemiah is finding out a lot of stuff, a a lot of bad stuff, a lot of hard stuff, a lot of disappointing stuff. So that the Levites and the singers who did the work, they each fled to their own field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe and the grain and the wine and oil into the storehouses. God's people responded to these things, and they appointed people to be over them, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. The rebuilding of God's people will always also include regular generosity. Regular generosity. Nehemiah had recruited these Levites, and he recruited these singers, and he basically said, "Hey, come and be involved in the people of God here. Like we want you to be a part of our community, so come in and help lead us, and help serve in the life of the church, and help sing, and be part of the choir and the band, and do all these things to worship and to praise God." He recruited all these people. He brought them in. He raised the money for their salaries. And now things were waning. And the people of God were losing good leaders because the leaders couldn't provide for their families. And so they went back to work with their hands in their fields, which obviously they were not above doing and they were willing to do. But it's not what they should have been doing. They should have been having more time to to serve among God's people. And the bottom line was there was not enough money to provide for the things that needed to happen among God's people. And the people that were needed, do it. In, in our context, that would be our, our staff in our church or something like that. So what did Nehemiah do about this? Verse, th- verse 11, it says, so I confronted the officials. said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I
1: set them in their stations. What did he do? He went and got the Like like he went in, like muscled the budget around, and he said, no, 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 I'm
0: putting these people back in their place. And some of them might be thinking, who are you? And some of God's people might be thinking, well, who are you to do all this stuff? And how would they respond to that? Well, it tells us how they responded. It says, then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the wine and the oil into the storehouses. They all said, yeah, we're in. Just Someone just needed to say, like, hey, what's going on here? Like, this
1: stuff needs to happen in the life of God's church. And certainly. respond by setting up some people who would manage these
0: things faithfully. Do you get that? Sometimes in the life of a church, you know, you might hear people kind of invite you to give to something. Hey, we need to give because we need to give to the things that God's doing in and through this church. And you might wonder, well, how are those things managed? You know, like, is someone managing that well? Like, how does that all work? And I'm just happy to say that, by God's grace, that stuff's managed very, very well in the life of our church. Like, we, we have a budget right now. We're going through a budgeting process. Our fiscal year starts July 1st. So it's coming up, and the elders have been working hard on it. David in particular have been giving a lot of hours to this and really looking how we can best steward the resources God has entrusted to us. And, and we have a staffing plan. I developed a staffing plan for our church a number of years ago, and we come back to it. We're working on hiring a, a woman's director in our church, and we've told you that, and that's happening soon. And, and we're working our staffing plan. And God's people have been faithful and generously giving to this church for a long time. And over this last season, we gave tens of thousands of dollars to partners in need. And, and, and we met our budget for the, for the most part. And, and now as the season rebuilds, you know, we're saying we, we want God's people to be generous on a regular basis. And these things will be managed well. You know, there's one person in the life of this church that sees all the giving and the checks that come through. And that one person records them. None of the elders know that stuff but they manage it well. We have a team of people that manages that and if you're a village partner, you could at any time, you could say, "Hey, can I take a look at the budget?" and we would be glad to show you line by line if you're a village partner. Like there's nothing to hide. We we our team stewards these things so well and I'm humbled and I want us to say thank you to guys like Pastor Darren and Pastor David and the unnamed person
1: that sees all your checks, you know? And
0: Can I just admit that sometimes this is not easy stuff to talk about <laughs> in the life of God's people. And Nehemiah knows that. And so look what he does. Nehemiah cries out in his prayer to God. He says, remember me, O God, considering this. And don't wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for his service. He's saying, Nehemiah, Nehemiah acknowledges, like, this is hard. This is hard to do. These things are hard to say. But I'm willing to say them. And I think I would say a similar thing. I know these things are hard to say sometimes. I'm willing to say them. Because I believe the things are you regularly being generous with the resources God has entrusted to you and sowing into the church that sows into you. So there's another thing. There's another thing that Nehemiah finds in the ongoing rebuilding of God's people. And it's in verse 15 where it says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. The fourth thing this morning is that the rebuilding of God's people will always include regular rhythms of rest. Like it's not all building. It's not all work, 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 work. There there is rest that happens among God's people. God's people in Nehemiah's day were not obeying God's command to give regular rest. And I just want to say I'm not going to spend a lot of time here since Pastor David did such a great job a number of weeks ago on this topic, this idea in a previous passage but since this is the longest passage on the Sabbath in the book of Nehemiah, I wanna say at least one meaningful thing about this. I wanna say this, that Sabbath rest reminds us that rebuilding of God's people is a weekly endeavor. This is a weekly endeavor. This is one of the reasons why the Sabbath is there. Like we're so prone to overwork, we're so prone to, to, to that kind of compulsion. And, and when we do, we get tired and we get worn down. Have you ever noticed that temptation comes your way mostly when you're tired and worn down? And if we don't go, if we, if we go week after week after week without seasons of rest, without just a time and a place and a moment of rest, like we're, 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 we're going to miss God. We're going to miss our relationship with him. We're going to miss all the gifts that Sabbath rest gives to us. And, and then, yes, we're going to get in this place where we're tired and we're weak and we compromise and we make concessions. And if we would just go through this re- renewal process on a weekly basis through the Sabbath, like things would be good. Because <laughs> weekly rhythms of rest provide us with regular space to enjoy extended time alone with God. That was the reason for the Sabbath. And the Village Church, we want to grow and multiply disciples who are delighting in Jesus. And one of the ways we do this is by setting aside time to rest so we can delight in him for extended periods of time. Maybe you spend a half an hour in scripture in the morning and maybe on the Sabbath day, maybe on your Sabbath and your day of rest, you can spend a couple hours just reading your Bible and praying. It's this extended time before God. You can recognize the ways God is at work in your life and you can rejoice in those things. You can, you can thank God. All these prayers of gratitude that just kind of swell in, in your heart, your love and affection for him. You can repent of any sin that's been creeping into your life. You know, you, you set aside that time. Very few of us, I think on an ongoing basis, we, we, we don't evaluate our sin. You know, we, we don't take time to just sit there because it's kind of hard to do. <laughs> it's kind of hard to sit there and go like, yeah, this stuff's been creeping in. Like, you, you just kind of want to put it in the back of your mind. Just kind of walk away from it. Distract yourself with busyness. And God's saying, no, 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 it's right there. You got to deal with it. And Sabbath rest gives us an opportunity to do that. It gives us time for that. And it helps us return to God in ways that we know we ought to. <laughs> you know, before things kind of get out of hand, before we get so busy to make our minds, our hearts, our soul, our, our numb to these realities and just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. You know, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. No, no, stop. And think about it for a moment. And then deal with it before, it, like, it gets out of hand. What did Nehemiah do about this lack of rest? Like, Nehemiah knew this was an issue. And so really quickly, his first step was he warned them. He says, I warned them on the day when they sold food. And so this morning, you can just take this as a warning, okay? I'm just, I'm just warning you that if you don't rest, this will happen. I'm warning myself. I have been busy in this season. And when I read this this week, I thought to myself, like, I, I need to, I need more time to slow down. Do you? The second thing was was, was Confrontation. He says in verse 19, I, I, I commanded that the doors be, be shut and I gave orders that they should be, not be opened until after the Sabbath. He just confronted this reality and says, look, I'm going to solve this for you. I'm just closing the gates, stepping right into it. And, and your pastors, we love you enough to like, if we saw you frantic and harried all the time and like, we would, we would, we would, if you're a village partner, we would love you enough to say, hey, like, what's going on? Like, are you resting okay? Like, we would call this out. Step three was extreme accountability, Right? Extreme accountability. He shuts the gates. He says, I'm going to do a little tough love thing going on here, right? (laughs) Step four was a proactive protection. Don't you love what he said? The merchants outside selling, these guys that were coming in trying to exploit God's people. He says he warned them, why do you lie outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay my hands on you. You like that from one of your pastors? Yeah, you like I will lay my hands on you. From that time, they did not come on Sabbath. I guess Nehemiah was 65. Maybe he was yoked. I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe he had a couple guys behind him with bats. Like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. That was not in the Bible, right? But like, it was, he was serious. He was serious. God's shepherds protect God's people. And again, Nehemiah acknowledges this is hard. He's willing to do it, he's willing to be misunderstood. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come out and guard the gates and keep the Sabbath day holy. He says again, remember this also in my favor, oh my God. Like, remember these things. I'm doing these things because I love you and I love your people. Are you allowing yourself regular rest, the rest you need to remember Jesus and get extended time alone with him and repent of your sin before things get out of hand? Do you need some kind of accountability or help? You know, are you a village partner in One of your pastors reach out to you on a monthly basis, somehow email, text message, phone call, whatever, and that thing's sort of boiling, but you you kind of haven't brought it. Do you you need help with something? Do you need some kind of accountability? Just just ask. Just ask for that. Look, the ongoing rebuilding of God's people includes at least one more thing, (laughs) many other things, but at least one more thing in this passage of Scripture that we find this morning, and it's our last few verses. Verse 23 says, In those days... I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, for only the language of each people, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them. Here we go. And I cursed them, and I beat them. Oh, the good old days, right? (laughs) And I pulled out their hair. Remember when you could do that? And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, "You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons, for your or yourselves." And sort of the laughing aside, the reason this is very, very serious is at the end of the day. Here's here's the last lesson in, in this passage: that the rebuilding of God's people, the ongoing rebuilding of God's people, will always include remembering the next generation. The kids are a big deal. Your kids are a big deal. Our kids are a big deal. This is a big deal. You see, since Nehemiah had been gone, the next generation of Jewish men, they married foreign women. And again, this is not a racial thing. This is a religious thing. They married mysterious, provocative women, right? Think about like, like the foreign women that, that seem provocative. They seem mysterious. You know, they seem desirable in some way. And, and God's, the men. God's men had given themselves over to these women, Lots of other fine Jewish girls around, right? Probably lots of beautiful Jewish girls around who obeyed God's word and obeyed scripture and, and they weren't prude, but they, they were faithful, right? And, but God's men, they looked beyond those girls and they looked to the other girls that were mysterious and provocative, different, who did not share their faith. Who did not share their faith. And it had implications. Again, this was not a racial thing. This was a spiritual culture thing. It said they they did not know their language anymore. Listen, I'm an anthropology major. Language equals culture. That's what he's trying to tell us. They can't even speak the language anymore. The culture is gone. The culture among the next generation of God's people was waning, It it was leaving them. Language equals culture. And these women who were so hot in the beginning, as one pastor used to say, you know, yeah, she's hot. So was hell, you know, so is hell. It is hot, you know. That's the way he used to say it. And I'm not going to say who said it, but he said it. I kind of agree with it, right? So, 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 so young men in this church, listen to me. Right, these women began raising their children outside of the spiritual culture of God's people. That's what's happening here. And it reminds us that we are always one generation away from losing orthodoxy, always. We're always one generation away. We, we are one generation away. If we don't train our children, if we don't train the kids and the youth that are in this church, if we don't train them up to follow Jesus in our homes, in the life of the church, we are one generation away from losing orthodoxy. Well, what did Nehemiah do about that? Well, he confronted them, he cursed them, and he beat them, and he pulled out their hair, okay? So, again, remember the good old days, right? I mean, this was, this was something that was, that was culturally acceptable in his day, okay? That, this is the way they rolled. And when someone got, like, their beard pulled out, they weren't being like, why did you do that? Like, my, you're going to hear from my attorney. It was like, no, 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 that's what they did. They accepted it, okay? I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that's the way it was. Why is this so harsh? Verse 26 said, did not Solomon king of Israel sin on account of such women? And by the way, you can sin on account of such men. Some of you gals might be interested, some of you young gals, you're single, you may be interested in a a guy who's like, hey, he's really handsome and he's super successful and he seems really nice. But like he doesn't really, I mean, he says, he doesn't really follow Jesus. I mean, kind of like he's going to come to church with me. He keeps saying, but, you know, he'll come next week and that whole thing. I'm just telling you right now, the same thing happens the other way. Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him to sin. And again, foreign men can make women to sin. Again, it's not about race. This is about spirituality and spiritual culture. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against God by marrying foreign women? I have in my notes right here, words to single adults. Maybe I've said enough of that already, <laughs> okay? You get the picture, okay? I hope. And I just want to tell you, if in the back of your mind you're thinking, yeah, that's not going to happen to me, you know? He's going to come around. Or, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I heard my parents telling the same thing. She's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We love each other. It's going to be fine. Look at verse 28 for a second. It says, one of the sons of Jehodiah, the son of Elishab, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Harnite. That means
1: Sanballat. He married one. He he intermarried in Sanballat's family, one of Nehemiah's enemies. He intermarried
0: into a pagan family. Like this happened with the pastors and and their and their kids. He says, remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. No one is immune to this. So if in the back of your mind you're thinking, yeah, I'm immune to this, you're not. Bond into the ongoing rebuilding of God's people. Don't we sing a song that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Yeah, this, this is true among God's people. So there's always things to rebuild among God's people. And Nehemiah sums up his rebuilding in verses thirty and thirty-one at the end of this book. Read it with me. He says, Thus I cleanse from them every foreign, everything foreign, everything foreign. Again, not just every person, foreign person. Again, this is not about race, this is about religious culture, everything foreign,
1: not just the people, all the objects, all the beliefs, all the ideologies, like all the Which the duties of the priest and the Levites, each in his work, and a provide. his work in 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 the city of Jerusalem and while we
0: might remember the greatest accomplishment of Nehemiah as rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem in the short amount of time that he I mean it's literally one of the greatest feats in in, in the history of the world at that time like no one thought it could be done and Nehemiah did it
1: and although we all might remember Nehemiah most for building the wall I think at the end For cleansing God's people remembered
0: for, as a guy who set things into order and and, and helped God's people live holy lives and, and and trained up the leaders and set the staff and the Levites in place and so they could lead God and uh, lead God's people in the worship of God and, and providing all the things that they needed for that to happen. Like he wanted to be remembered for, for shepherding and and pastoring and caring for and building up, you know, God's people. That's what was most important to him, not the wall. So I was part of it, the people of God. And as we end our time this morning, I just wanna like,
1: what do you wanna be remembered for? What you chose to do for your job, you know. I, I do something else. No, I get it. I'm speaking to you as a person,
0: not a pastor. I'm speaking to you as a Christian, not a pastor. I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor. I was a Christian before I'm a pastor, and I'll be a Christian if someday I'm not a pastor. Although I hope that day is not. I mean, I'm not alluding to anything. I'm just saying, like I, I, I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor, and so I'm just saying this to you as a Christian. What do you want to be remembered for? How many things you sold, or the vacation house that you were able to do, or you know been invented or this kind of other thing like at the end of the day like what do you want to be remembered for how you built this like beautiful family you got great pictures and I. I, yes that, that, that stuff is all wonderful i think jesus wants us to be a people who builds up his people ultimately i believe you want that too You know, Jesus came at a time when the people of God had wandered from him, a long way from him, so much so there was 400 years of silence before Jesus came. And they were in a type of bondage that God's people were in in this day, but it was a deeper bondage. It wasn't just to a Babylonian or a Syrian empire. It was to the Roman Empire, but it wasn't just to the Roman Empire. God's people were in bondage to their sin. And Jesus confronted this sin by by living a perfectly sinless life in front of them. He showed them what a a right life before God looks like in contrast to a, a sinful life. He was a sinless Savior who lived a sinless life in contrast to the sinful lives that they were living. He confronted this through his example of his life. He ultimately dealt with this sin not just through his example, but through his substitutionary death on the cross. Jesus is much more than a good example for us. He is a substitutionary Savior. He went to the cross for our sake. He lived the life we should have lived. We could never live a sinless life before God. And he died the death we should have died. On the cross and in our place and for our sins, he dealt with it. And he proved that he had authority to do it through his resurrection from death. That same Jesus who said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And Jesus continues to build this church. And Village Church, you are a great church. This is a great church. On Friday, I did, I did a funeral and a wedding in the same day. It was the first day I'd done that in 25 years. You know, it's never happened before. And at the funeral, there were some folks after
1: were asking me, you know, hey, where, where is your church? Are you part of the church? Church. but even great churches need to continually be
0: rebuilt and reinvigorated in some ways and we'll continue to do that together and one day Jesus will return for his church and, and it'll all be done there'll be no more need for rebuilding because we'll, we'll be caught up together with him and, and things will be the way they always should have been in the beginning and that's the good news this morning I believe is that Jesus has built his church by grace and through the faith that he has given us and he will continue to build his church through us until he returns. Will you pray with me? Lord, it's really freeing this morning just to admit that my life needs constant (laughs) reevaluation. I need constant rebuilding. I need constantly to repent of sin and return to you and rejoice in the truth of the gospel. It's extremely freeing to be able to say that as one of the pastors of this church, that as great a church this is, everything that's great or good about it is because of you. And all the the, the things that we need to work on is because of us. And, and 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 you're so gracious and you're so long-suffering. And that you will continue to do your work in the life of your people here at the village church. And there will be ongoing rebuilding and renewal and revitalization
1: and these The life of your people. We ask this in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen.